Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the New American Wasteland. I'm your host, Montgomery Ho, and the year is 2035. On our last episode, you and your party had survived the American Southwest and navigated your way all the way up north to a commune in Montana, picking up stragglers and survivors along the way. After getting your first full night's rest in months, you were greeted by a welcoming party. However, things are tense as the leader of the welcoming party is one Pastor Paul. Your grip on the rifle tightens once you hear the term pastor. Behind you, you can hear the tactile click of the fire selector lever on Dorian's weapon. After the fundamentalist uprisings across the American Northwest and the mass enslavement or outright killings of non-believers, everyone was at least a little Christophobic these days. Pastor Paul holds his worn hands up slowly and calmly, his voice still soft and slow, but now you can hear a small stutter. Easy there, friend. I know those in my faith have done a lot of hurt to everyone out here in the West. I'm not like those monsters, though. You have my word. They wouldn't let me and my family in here if I was. His smile holds true, but his green eyes are worried. The age lines in his face give him the look of a concerned father. He reminds you a bit of your own dad, but you shove that image away from the front of your mind for now. You peer back at Dorian over your shoulder. They shrug their small frame, looking to you to take the lead. You take your index and ring finger, point them out, and quickly flick them down. The party's hand sign for safety is on. Alongside the pastor are a young man in a patchy battle jacket with multiple piercings, and a tall, dark, muscular woman. They both step out towards you, hands empty and palms clear to you. The man speaks up first. Buddy, I get it. I promise you he's not a fundy. He's been here a while and he's helped us a ton. He's our own renegade preacher, right, Paul? His accent has the low pitch, trendy amongst the youths of the West Coast, and with his messy blonde hair, thin build, and piercings, the boy looks like he belongs at a skate park in California or a house show in Seattle. Paul smiles and relaxes. His narrow shoulders slump a bit. You know, I'm not a fan of that term, Joey, but I suppose it's not wrong. Blasphemer would fit better. The boy, Joey, gleams with a refreshingly wide grin at the pastor's acknowledgement. Besides, the tall woman chimes in, resting a strong hand on your shoulder. Polly and I got out of Texas together. He saved my ass in Austin while the city was tearing itself apart. He's my battle buddy, and he keeps me safe regardless of my heathen tendencies. She maintains eye contact with you for a moment. Her face angular and intense, framed by stark white hair cropped short into a pixie cut. Her oak brown skin showing the pox and gouges of shrapnel scarring on her cheeks, lips, and forehead. He's good people. Please, don't worry. Her deep brown eyes seem to stare into your soul. They hold the anguish of someone that's escaped hell. With an awkward chuckle, Paul almost seems bashful. Just take Vonda's stories about me with a grain of salt. She tends to exaggerate our adventures. He extends his hand to you. You shake it. His handshake reflects him well, comforting, solid, and warm. As I was saying, I'm one of the liaisons for the commune. I do my part. Help newcomers get settled in, counsel those who need it, stand watch, and go on patrol when they ask me. It was always strange to meet Christians that weren't radical extremists. You knew they existed, especially before the fall, but meeting them was so rare sometimes they seemed like a myth. In the early 2010s, small sects of Protestant-adjacent congregations had taken up much more militant and aggressive rhetoric towards those they considered sinful. In 2016, they started gaining a political stranglehold on the right-wing parties of America. 
Churches like the Westboro Baptist Church were vocal and got media attention, but were hardly the norm. Through the 2020s, they rapidly grew to be the majority of congregations. Radical leaders stoking fear and anger in their flocks, calling them to arms for the new crusade of protecting their identity from an alleged extermination at the hands of a godless government that was taking their country from them. Congregations and ministers that tried to keep the core message of grace and love were quickly excommunicated, slandered, and shamed out of their homes and churches. By 2030, Christianity in the United States had a new face of hate, controlled multiple state governments openly, and claimed multiple attacks committed by fundamentalist extremist groups. No one outside their faith, and even some inside, felt safe around Christians. In 2035, being Christophobic wasn't just a stance or bias, but a way to stay alive. You felt differently about this pastor, though, at least for now, so you decide to trust him as he speaks again with a warm smile. If it's alright with you, I'd love to take y'all to the dining hall for some breakfast and then show you around. The word breakfast causes a growl in your stomach, and that's all the encouragement you need to rouse your people for some nourishment. By now, they had all started getting ready for their first day at the commune, and you were sure they would be hungry. By the time you've got everyone ready, the mood in the air is hopeful and cheery, and you've gotten more time to exchange greetings with the pastor's group. As your troop gather and walk with the commune's impromptu welcoming party across the grounds, you can see other groups of people on their way to start their day, or on their way after the end of one. It's the first glimpse of anything close to normal in a long time. They exchange hellos and goodbyes as they enter and exit their homes. Around you are an array of different shelters, from solid-looking structures made from a variety of scrap and lumber to trailers and tent-based camps. You can smell the familiar ashy aroma of campfires being started and tea being brewed. Everyone seems to be heading in the same direction as your group, and it's not long before the comforting scent of a kitchen causes your stomach to rumble again. Vonda keeps pace next to you. Her strides are longer than yours. Her boots thud heavily in the ground. With a yawn, she tries to answer some of the questions you've had buzzing in your head. We try to start every day with some food for everyone. We do hard work here, and the nutrition is important to keep us fueled for the day. Usually everyone eats at least twice a day. The duty section standing watch for the shift gets priority on meals, then the young and elderly, and then our workers for the day. The patrol squad has its own ration schedule, but they have different needs. She's visibly fatigued, but she was also one of the commune members that received you late last night, so she must have been on watch from the evening to morning shift. A scruffy teen comes from one of the campsites on the little dirt path, calling for her. Vonda! Vonda! Why are you still up? Weren't you working last night? The young girl is wrapped up in a hoodie that's at least two sizes too big for her. It features a large skull on the front, circled by an aggressive font that reads, Corpse Road. She eagerly passes up a tin mug of coffee to the Amazon-sized woman. Gingerly receiving the mug, Vonda responds to the girl in a nurturing tone. Oh yeah, I was on the 1800-0600 watch, but I wanted to make sure the new arrivals got acquainted before I racked out. She passes the mug to you. Thanks for the coffee, Lily. I think our new friend will need it more than me. This group has a long day ahead. The mug is warm and soothing in the morning chill. The taste of the coffee is bitter but wonderful. Caffeine in any form was a rare pleasure in the wasteland. You do your best not to scald yourself drinking it too fast, the hot and coarse elixir invigorating you. It's hard to imagine this used to be something you could find anywhere. Finally arriving at the chow hall, you stand in line in front of a large open-air kitchen, Dozens of staff are working between multiple stations, prepping, cooking, dishing, and serving. You've never seen a more functional kitchen. Somehow, the ragtag culinary team are able to pump out plates and bowls of eggs and potatoes at a dizzying pace. 
Seeing your slack jaw, Vonda chuckles deeply. It's been a while since you got a decent meal, huh? You nod solemnly. On your way to Montana, you and your group were never in one place long enough to set up a kitchen or cultivate food. On good days, you might have been able to fish or hunt some game, and garnish with whatever herbs could be found. On the bad days, you'd scavenge whatever you could, and on the worst ones, you had nothing to eat. There was something amazing about seeing so many people getting such healthy servings of nutritious food. Potatoes were relatively common, but eggs and other animal-based proteins were incredibly rare, and they seemed to have a surplus. Humbly, you ask Vonda how in the world you could possibly feed so many people so well. Well, every independent community or incom has three necessities to keep people functioning at the bare minimum. As she speaks, you reach the front of the line. A server in a ratty Starbucks apron hands you both plates of hot scrambled eggs and potatoes. The food steams in front of you. The smell is practically intoxicating. Vonda's voice brings you back out of your food-induced trance. As you can see, we've got the first two necessities down. The original founders were agriculture majors from the Montana State University in Bozeman. Between them and advisors we have from the Crow Tribe, we really use the land to its full potential. You've never felt so happy as you scarf down the seasoned eggs and vegetables. The experience is euphoric, and you have to remember to pace yourself before you get sick. Around you, amongst the assorted seating and tables, your friends eat with an animal-like frenzy, and it brings you joy. Setting your fork down to sip out of your canteen, you stop short as Vonda's previously jovial tone and body language is replaced by the stone face of a killer. Her voice drops low as she leans in. What we really need, comrade, is guns, and people that can use them. And that's what I'm hoping you can help us with. I need you and your best people in the patrol squad. This has been Letters from 2035. I'm your host, Montgomery Ho, reminding you to take care of each other out there. Please stop what you're doing. Please stop what you're doing.